Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 287 of Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It's a Sunday evening and a rarity this weekend. Uh, rarity this season, I should say. It's time for a positive podcast, and I'm joined by Scott Coleman, the most positive member of Braves Twitter. Hello, Scott. Brad, we finally get like a fun, lighthearted podcast. I swear, every Sunday's game has been like horrible this year, whether it was the Alec Bohm not touching home plate or they've been on the wrong end of a sweep. I think the last two weekends they've gotten swept. Um, so good to be on and, and about as good of a week as you could have possibly hoped for for the Braves. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the top line thought. We'll get into the games as we always do, uh, particularly Saturday's uh, wild contest of baseball. Um, but, you know, before we dive into all of that, we'll get into some news. But just say, like, the Braves are back to 500, and I, I believe we even said last week, Eric and I kind of made fun of how bad it's been on the weekends uh, this season, just like you said. But getting back to 500 this week was, like, the ultimate great result. Yeah, they, they lost a game this week, and it was in lopsided fashion. But clawing back to 500 immediately is pretty impressive, particularly against two divisional opponents. Uh, all the projection systems are still, you know, kind of mixed, but after a week of success, it looks a lot more favorable, which is nice. It allows us to yeah. uh, shed some positivity on things. Um, before we get to the games, though, a couple of transactions, which is not usually the case in May, but uh, I want to start with the one that's more uh, more more on brand for our podcast, and that is that Tyler Flowers is back, Scott. Tyler Flowers. It, it could not be more appropriate. We We, of course, bounce back, Eric and I, doing these with you every weekend. It could not be more appropriate that that it was my week to do the podcast on the week that Tyler Flowers officially comes back. Our, one of one of our uh, great bits on this show is that you and I lament uh, that Braves, Braves fans some, somehow just don't understand that Tyler Flowers has been good. Um, and no one, just to get, in case you're, we have a new listener, neither of us are going to say Tyler Flowers is, is terribly good in 2021. That's not, that's not the no. point of this. Uh, the point is that uh, backup catcher is bad, and um, generally uh, he's – probably better than Jeff Mathis, which is the only bar that matters right now because of all the injuries. Uh, Contreras yeah. is going to play. I don't think anyone's expecting Flowers to come in and play every day, so don't worry about that. Contreras is going to play. But uh, I, I like this. Obviously, it may not work. Uh, it's it's a low cost. If he's a, if, he, if he even gets, sort of even gets back to the team, that's not even a given, I guess. But he hadn't been playing in a while. He's been around the team. There was that reporting from Boog Shambi randomly that broke this news a couple weeks ago, <laughs> saying he was going to be uh, around the, around the team again. So, I mean, I think honestly, my only take at this moment is that Tyler Flowers is better than Jeff Mattis. I think that's kind of like yeah, a, I think so too. And to be clear, I I would be very surprised short of Contreras, who has been incredibly impressive. I know he's had a couple of gaffes. 
this first full week and he's still learning. I mean, he's, a, he's very young. He has very little experience, honestly. I mean, he's a guy who was probably impacted more than most just on his trajectory and not having a minor league season at all last year, probably hurt him more than your average prospect. But I know Mark Bowman said this week that, um, not even limited to minor leaguers, but there might not be a player in the entire organization or even the entire league who has improved more over the last 12 months than Contreras. Um, I, I think that having someone like Tyler Flowers around every single day, Flowers is, is highly revered and regarded for his game prep and working with pitchers before games and navigating through lineups a second and third time. I think it's only a good thing to have Contreras around him. And as you mentioned, the bar for backup catcher is is so low and so easy to clear, even if Flowers is starting once or twice or just handling the day game. So Contreras isn't entirely worn out by by the middle of the summer. Um, I, I think it's an upgrade. And if for some reason Tyler just doesn't have it anymore and he just can't hit anything above 95, um, then you Alex Jackson at some point probably comes back. I don't know who would be better between the two, but you're you're not getting married here for three years and for a million bucks or whatever it's going to come out to by the time he gets to Atlanta. It's, it was certainly a worthwhile move in my opinion. Yeah, uh, there is a chance he's just done, and that's that's okay. This is a low risk move in itself. And I know uh, before everyone before we get all of the mail that we always get about Tyler Flowers, uh, he's not the guy he was in 2017. We know that he he's not awesome anymore. But to your point, without being the dead horse. Uh, one of our sta- one of our standard things on this pod is that like if you look just look at the numbers with catchers. That's my only ask to any Braves yeah. fan that hates Tyler Flowers or whatever. Just look at the numbers from catcher. I think you had it. Didn't you have a stat this week? I th- somebody did. I think it was you actually yeah. on Twitter. I think he's like fourth in in FanGraphs WAR for like the last six years, something like that. Like yep. no one's saying he's that good anymore. Again, we're not saying that, but it's it's important to realize that like especially backup catcher is a wasteland, man. There, there are teams that have bad starting catchers flat out, mm-hmm. but the, you get into backup catcher. And it's like, if you get anything from that spot, you're in great shape. And if flowers is just the guy he was last year, he is a strongly above average backup catcher. I know that, yeah. that, that may sound crazy. I know he wasn't very good last year, but I promise you if he's that guy and that maybe he isn't, and he wasn't great last year, but if he's just that, that's a win. That's all you need. Yeah. Well, and I don't, I don't want to dump on Alex Jackson too much because by all counts, he, he can't was very, hit very hard. He yeah, he, he just can't <laughs> hit. And it doesn't matter how hard you work or how much he's improved his body to, to get to the big league level. Hey, congrats to him. He's done far more than 99% of his peers, but um, he, he just can't hit. I mean, he's been up and down a couple of years now. Um, if, if he was a prospect who was like a highly regarded hitting prospect and he was struggling out of the gate you you can probably stick with him and live with that for a little bit but yeah i I just don't know how you can i mean it's really not fair to alex either he just gets eaten alive offensively and um, again as you've noted neither of us are saying tyler flowers is like jt real muto back there but for a million bucks the improvement he brings uh, offensively and then off the field as well i think is certainly worthwhile uh i'm not gonna pile on alex jackson anymore other than just this one stat uh, and 50 career plate appearances, and it's only 50. That's, you know, it's the positive point on Alex Jackson would be that the sample size is very small. But in that sample size, he has a negative 22 WRC plus in the major leagues. Jeez. I mean, that's uh, worse than a pitcher. Yeah. Oh, like, no. Yeah. Pitchers and usually hover at like zero. Yeah. That's yeah. basically what he's been. And again, I think he's probably better than that. If you just let him keep playing every, like, you know, every other day or whatever, it would be better than that. No one's saying he's that bad, I don't think. 
but the numbers are just what they are. Um, all right, we'll leave that now. That was only, we started there because it's our our podcast and we have a Tyler Flowers appreciation. Uh, the the bigger move is that Shane Green is back, and this is a wild one. Obviously, uh, he was. I don't know if there was a holdout. I don't know what was going on there, and I think we'll probably never know. But Shane Green was not on a team for the first month plus of the season, and it could not have possibly been because he was not in demand. In fact, we know he was on some level, but he ends up signing a one-year deal for about a million and a half dollars. It's going to be prorated at about $1.2 million. And a lot of the questions I saw on Twitter were like, wait, they just found the money for this now? And that I will just say this. Uh, we're not always the podcast that defends the ownership group or the leadership of the Braves. Uh, I, I'm very confident that if Shane Green wanted to sign this deal two weeks ago, they would have given him this deal. So I guess, I guess we don't know that to be sure, but I don't think this was a, a case where the Braves decided that now we're going to pay Shane Green a, a, a million dollars. I think it was probably <laughs> that Shane Green was like, I guess, I, I guess that big offer is not coming. That's, that's just my guess. Again, it probably is an educated guess, but uh, Shane Green for this money, if that happened, a month ago or six weeks ago, we would have been like pretty overjoyed and I'm still yeah. pretty overjoyed. It's a great move if you can get it. Yeah. I mean, for just over a million dollars, I mean, that's the, the league minimum. If you call up a kid from AAA and have him in your bullpen, the league minimum is what, like 600 K now or something like that. So um, Shane is certainly better than that. Um, I don't know if Shane has a really bad agent <laughs> or if he just had a really strong, line in the sand and said, Hey, I am absolutely not going to go to spring training. If I'm not making, I, I don't know, two or $3 million, 4 million, 5 million. I, I have no idea. Um, but at the same time, it's important to note it. It wasn't like it was Braves or bust for Shane green. No, I mean, there were 29 other teams that could have bid for him and paid him what he wanted. Nobody met the asking price. And I would imagine, all things equal, he he probably preferred to stay in Atlanta. I, I don't know that directly, but you would think he, he would want to stay where he's currently living. Um, but yeah, hey, for a million bucks, you, you can't say no to that. Um, it brings much needed depth, especially on the right-hand side to the bullpen. You start talking about hopefully getting Chris Martin back here fairly soon. Shane Green, we know how good Matzik and Minter have been. Will Smith has been uh, reliable in the ninth inning, much better from a year ago, so... Again, there's a little bit of concern with this bullpen just because of the depth not being as good as it was a year ago, but adding green for a million bucks is a no-brainer and, and should pay dividend. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, he's not – I know he was a closer before he got to the Braves at times. He's not that guy. Like, you're hoping to give to give yourself some depth here. I, I don't think Shane Green is an ultra-high leverage guy and, you know, kind of famously Snicker did not use him in high leverage spots in the playoffs. Uh, I'm not sure if he just fell out of favor or what was going on there, but I, I will guess – um, and I think I'll write on this that Shane Green probably had this kind of offer or better um, in the offseason and just didn't want to take it from somebody. I'm not sure if it was yeah. the Braves or whatever, but I can't imagine this is the best offer he's received in the last three months. I just, I'd be shocked by that. Um, but at the end of the day, there's, you, you know, the season's already going. Maybe he's he's been around. I know there were rumblings even a few weeks ago that he was around Atlanta, not necessarily around the team, hmm. but just kind of in Atlanta. And, yeah. you know, Maybe you want to stay here and look, look I guess getting paid a million dollars is better than not getting paid a million dollars. Um, right. So come on down, Shane Green. I mean, is he going to be great? We'll see. He was not um, dominant last year. But again, like the bar is pretty low. The Nate Jones experience, they uh, brought Carl Edwards Jr. <laughs> up for a while uh, and then DFA'd him after one yeah. bad blow. So basically the right-handed relievers, you know, Martin, we, we know is good when he pitches, but he's never been the most durable guy. Um they just need some help there, and Shane Green is just, at least he has been solid. 
it might take him a minute to get ready here. Uh, that's yeah. kind of one of those things you have to keep in mind. I know he's a, it's a reliever, quicker turnaround because of that, but you know he's not been in a big league camp or been around. I'm sure he's been throwing on some level, but sure. maybe you don't want to rely on him in the next week or two. But once he gets going, <laughs> you would imagine he helps you. With relievers, you never know 100% because there's so much volatility, but when you compare him to what they've had on the right side of the bullpen, you have to think that's probably an upgrade. Yeah, again, Chris Martin is very, very good when he's healthy, but he's he's 35. Thankfully, knock on wood, he has not suffered a serious injury with since joining the Braves. But, I mean, honestly, it feels like he's a sneeze away from the injured list. I mean, seriously, it's you just kind of have to hold your breath with a guy his age, and he's real tall, which tends to lead to, uh, I don't know, more back issues. And, and he's had back problems when he was with Texas a few years ago. But, yeah, I mean – God love him. Luke Jackson, solid sixth or seventh inning guy. I'm not sure you realistically, a team that's trying to win a division in a World Series can throw. Luke Jackson really is your best right-handed reliever at the moment on the roster. Is is Luke Jackson. Jacob Webb is, again, I think he's fine in a sixth or seventh inning role, but you probably don't want him throwing the eighth against the heart of the, of the Phillies or the Mets lineup. Um, so yeah, for a million bucks, there's not much risk here. You hope the strikeouts were down significantly for Shane last year, but in the weird shortened COVID season, who knows what was real and what's a trend and what was just a blip on the radar. You're talking about all of 28 appearances that he made. Uh, but yeah, if he's a reliable right-handed arm, uh, even if he's used maybe in more of like a specialty role where he's not going to really see as many lefties as your, your standard shutdown reliever would, uh, to play up Shane's strengths a little bit. Um, we'll see, but I was glad to see him get it done. And as you said, I, I have to think that he probably just didn't want to play for a million dollars. Of course you have to sign at some point and maybe just didn't want to do the spring training thing for two months being the veteran that he is. Yeah. Uh, fingers crossed, but Shane Green should help the Braves. So we'll, uh, we'll leave it there for now. And if he pitches, we will talk about it. Um, all right, before we get to what transpired this week, again, with a bunch of victories and the Braves back to 500, and we're from our sponsors, so hold on tight. All right, Scott, let's discuss, and the most important thing of the week, and that was the Noah Slam on Tuesday. Yeah, so, what, a uh, freaking, what a story he's become. He's, un- he's unbelievable. We'll talk about him again in a second when we talk about tonight's game on Sunday, where he was, again, quite good on the mound, but a 427-foot Grand Slam with 107 mile, 107 mile an hour exit velocity, the longest grand slam by a pitcher since 2006. Yeah. Uh, the first, I have a bunch of stats here, so I'll just throw them all at you. Um, the first pitcher to homer in back-to-back games in three years. That's across baseball. The first Braves pitcher to homer in back-to-back games since 1961. That's a long Jeez. time ago, Scott. Um, and the last, <laughs> the last Braves pitcher to hit a grand slam of any kind was Jaime Garcia, who was traded for. Oscar, you know, so that was cool. Um, and also, by the way, just kind of his, his day job, he threw six shutout innings to start the game on uh, Tuesday and they gave up one. It was unearned in the seventh. So a lights out performance on the mound. And uh, quite obviously, when you account for four runs with the bat and only allow one, you are the star of the night. Yeah, I mean, this guy's incredible. He's he's essentially what I mean, Shohei Otani is an incredible talent, but he's effectively become during the first month of the season. Shohei Otani. I mean, he he had a grand. I think he has what three home runs now. Is that right? Two. I, th- I think it's only two. But regardless, like 
And I'm trying but, to remember if he had one early, early on. I know he had the back-to-back games. But before anybody yells at you, we, we, we do know that he's not going to hit like this. We, we understand. No, he's not showing you no. a ton, but he has been so far. <laughs> he, I mean, he, he right, on a on a small, uh, was it, five or six starts. But, yes, he's he's been an incredible story. I'm glad to see. What a base nationally. runner, too. What a base runner. Yeah, yeah. He's. I, I swear <laughs> he's never rounded first base before competitively before a couple weekends ago. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's been – outstanding offensively on the mound. I mean, his stuff is just ridiculous. And the one knock we, we talked about this on this podcast, he has, his stuff is like elite. Yep. Like the movement you see on that slider is just absurd. He throws strikes. Now that was the big knock. He just never knew he was going to, there were times last year he would come in and he would issue six straight balls to start his appearance. And it's like, all right, you got to throw strikes here, buddy. I don't care if you, you know, you're striking guys out. You have to throw strikes here. Um, He's effective. Buster only of ESPN had a great stat that Enoa works at the second fastest rate of any starting pitcher in baseball. That's interesting. I'm, I'm sure that's not just random. I'm sure that's by design. Um, I think he averages like 20 some odd seconds between pitches, which is the second best mark. So he works fast. His starts are enjoyable. He just uh, dominated a Nationals lineup. I know they were without uh, Juan Soto that day, but just really just so impressive. And he has been by far and away other than Ronald Acuna and his MVP candidacy, uh, the best story of the season so far. Yeah. So numbers only know, uh, this includes tonight as well. He's down to a 2.23 ERA for the season in 40.1 innings. And it's only 40 innings, but man, that's very impressive. Um, 44 strikeouts, only nine walks to your point about his control. That's, that's a huge improvement. Uh, you're hoping it continues for sure, but the stuff is legit. Um, his ERA is certainly below where his like peripheral numbers are, but not by a ton. Like you can't expect him to be in the low twos, but he's pitching like a guy who is a major league starter. I know there's questions about his like pitch mix, kind of only having two pitches really that people like. Um, but you know <laughs> the results have been incredible, and the, the home runs kind of are, are the are the I guess the icing on the cake or whatever, how you want to say that. But the pitching really has almost been buried by his. Um, by his bat, which is hilarious in terms of the national consciousness, but his pitching has been lights out. Like he's been the Braves' best starter this year, like full stop, yeah. not close, which is Easy. wild considering yeah. he was not in the rotation. Uh, it's May 9th, and the Braves' best starter through five weeks of the season was not in the rotation to start the season, basically, like at least mm-hmm. on paper. So yeah. that is not supposed to happen. Uh, it's been a great, honestly, I, I don't want to know where they'd be without him at this moment. They would probably have three or four fewer wins if they were. Um, throwing out somebody else in that spot. So a great story. He's, by the way, I believe he's, yeah, he's still 22 years old. He'll be 23 in a couple weeks. So a super young guy with great stuff. You won't, you can't expect this, but you can expect, I think probably him to be pretty good based on what we've seen. So yeah, hold on to your hats, but I really enjoyed that performance. The only other thing, by the way, that happened on Tuesday was Ronald Cooney hitting a solo home run. Does that ever happen? Does he ever hit home runs? <laughs> Every now and then. I feel like he, I imagine his numbers against the nationals are just insane. Like, I feel like every time he sees the Nats, he has a couple homers. Um, yeah. Again, speaking of just incredible, where would the Braves be without him kind of stories? His, his run early on has been so, so impressive. Yeah. He's out of his mind. We'll come back to him momentarily. Uh, let's finish up the Nats series Wednesday. Max Fried returned. That was good to see. Uh, before we get to Max, it was a little bit surprising that they sent Sean Newcomb down to the minors. I don't want to panic too much about that. He has an option, so that was an easy decision, but they also could have done a few different things. So that that raised my eyebrows a touch. He was not very good in his last couple appearances before this, so it wasn't totally shocking, but that, was, that wasn't the name that I think everyone was expecting. Yeah, you, you hope that Sean is fine 
physically. I know they were incredibly vague with the COVID list. I, I don't believe Sean had COVID. I, I want to assume it was an exposure of some kind. I, I don't know. Um, they were so, so vague about it. Like Brian Snicker gave like a two word answer whenever they asked him about it. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's something completely not related to COVID. I have no idea. But as you said, he was not great coming back. I hope mechanically everything's okay. And hopefully at the alternate site, he's able to throw a couple bullpens and get back to his uh, much better bullpen self. Yeah, that would be good. Uh, very, very pro Sean Newcomb in the bullpen, as we all know. Um, anyway, that the game elsewhere on Wednesday was, you know, Max was much better. Five innings, uh, did a lot of five base runners, but six, six strikeouts, only one run on a solo homer. He looked like himself for the most part after a little bit of an absence, which is what you want to see. Uh, famously, he was pretty bad before he got hurt, but no one expects him to be bad. It's just that he, it was good to just like watch him pitch well because ha- that hadn't happened since yeah. October. <laughs> it's just been, it, it had been a while since he looked good, so that was good. Yeah, you talk about things that are going to help the Braves. Again, as you, as you just noted, it's May 9th, May 10th. As of people listening to this, it's still so, so early. But if the Braves are going to make a run this year and repeat for the fourth year in a row, they have to have Max Freed just be his normal self or at least close to it. And um, Wednesday was a good sign. Again, without Juan Soto, that Nationals lineup is probably in the bottom five across baseball for, I mean, they have like Trey Turner and that's basically it. Um, you, You hope that Max is able to replicate that moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And you know, other than that, Wednesday, uh, Ozuna hits a grand slam. That was good to see him break out a little bit from he's not been particularly awesome this year. Contreras hits a home run as well. That was all the scoring. And then it got a little bit, a little bit dicey when Josh Tallman allowed a home run to Trey Turner late. Um, but it never really got crazy out of hand, and they held on for that win. And then Thursday, they sweep the Nats with a 3-2 to two victory. And by the way, they gave Freddie Freeman a day off. Let's talk about Freddie for a second now. Um, good time to do this. Uh, so... He had been bad before this. In fact, he was one of 24 before the day off. That was not what you want to see. And then even beyond that, when he came back, uh, Freeman broke a streak of, in fact, it was his career worst streak of 22. He was 0 of 22. Uh, That happened on Saturday with a home run. And at one point this week, Freddie Freeman had a 92 WRC+. Now, that isn't terrible for anybody else, but when you're Freddie Freeman, um, that is about as bad as he's been ever for a month, at least in the last little while. Um, And, and of course, it's not really a talking point now because he was really good today. He had three. He was three for three with a home run, so he has two homers in the last two days. No reason to panic at all, but I feel like this was a topic. So we we should at least touch on it a little bit here. Uh, A... Uh, I'm going to ask you to be honest with me now, Scott. Were you worried about Freddie Freeman a day ago? Mm. And also, um, what do you make of the uh, the Braves Twitter war about Freddie not smiling very much? <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I plead the fifth on that one? That's fine. Um, no, I look, Freddie, the good news with Freddie, yes, as you said, anytime you're talking about a career worst anything for Freddie, for a guy who's been around for 10 years now, uh, of course you worry a little bit, but... If you dig into his batted ball numbers, they're really, really good. He's still hitting yep. the ball really hard. Um, I know he was striking out a little more than usual, but it, again, it's it's not like he's striking out 40% of the time. And then, you know, of course, everyone starts really panicking, and rightfully so, when he's an 0-for-22 skid. But then he hits a home run last night. He hit one to left center tonight, had a couple of hits, and that's, as we know, when, when Freddie's going left center with power is when it's over. I mean, that's when that's when his power and his game is really back. So yeah, uh, 
anytime you're defending MVP is a month into the season with a sub 100 WRC plus, you have to go, you know, okay, what's going on? He did get hit in the elbow or the wrist uh, against the Cubs like 10 days ago. You worry about like a bone bruise or something, but Freddie, of course, is kind of an Iron Man. I know he has uh, three young children at home, and and I know that that is uh, mentally and physically exhausting, even for someone with a you know quarter of a billion dollars in the bank or whatever Freddie has. But um, good to see him get going over the weekend, and hopefully he is well beyond the worst of it. Yeah, we'll, we'll save the the hot takes. Uh, you know, all kinds of discussion about whether he was you know pouting or whatever about his contract or whatever it is. Freddie's not quite, I think the word Bowman used, uh, a good friend of the program, Mark Bowman, uh, he's, he referred, and this is not just on Twitter, he actually wrote this, that Freddie has not been his quote, his normal jovial self was the quote from from Bowman. Mm. And obviously they're not in the locker room of the clubhouse this uh, this season, so it's all Zoom stuff, but it seems like Freddie's not been like quite as bubbly as usual. Um, I don't really, I, I don't make too much of that. It's just worth noting yeah. that guys have noticed that. Um, but you know, it's not a story anymore unless you don't, unless you're not playing well. Like it became right. sort of a, a little bit of a story over the weekend. And then I think after today, when you're three of, when you're three of three with a home run, it becomes less of a story. So we'll see what happens there. Obviously the contract is a, is a big topic of conversation that we've talked about a lot in this podcast. Um, not gonna do that now, but if he plays well, no one's going to care. And that's where we are. So uh, anyway, he had the day off on Thursday, so why I brought that up in the first place, but then he played yeah. over the weekend and looked like his normal self. Um, quickly on Thursday's game, the headliner from Thursday other than Freddie having the day off was Drew Smiley, and Drew Smiley, baby, making making his making his impact known, Scott. It's it's time for Drew Smiley. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't I'm, I'm, I'm mostly kidding, but he was <laughs> he was much better. Yeah, he was much much better. Six innings, uh, four hits, did walk four, which is not what you want, but one one run and it was unearned, so he did look. Not like dominant, but he looked like a major league starting pitcher on uh, on Thursday, which is good to yep. see because they they need him to be reasonable. I know, I know Eric and I talked about him a lot on last week's podcast. So I wanted to like, do the whole thing, but it'd be nice if he was just solid enough to be the fifth starter. And yep. that that was that was in question a week ago, and maybe not as much today. Let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah, as you said, they would they like Drew Smiley to be a, a number two, of course. But he is the five as long as Enoa and, and Freed continue. Freed continues to improve. Enoa continues to be amazing. Um, Ian Anderson has been solid. Charlie Morton's been a little up and down. But again, this is not your ace by any means that you're talking about with Drew Smiley. Uh, yeah, hey, if, if he can give you six innings of one run ball, you obviously are going to take it. Again, it won't be a broken record. The Nationals lineup is nothing special, especially <laughs> against lefties. Yep. I don't want to poo poo on it too much here. But if if it's a a step in the right direction for him and he can take it and build off it, I think uh, Mark Bowman just reported they're going to uh, push the rotation back a day so he won't have to face the Blue Jays again this week, uh, who, of course, lit him up for like six home runs last weekend. He's going to be pushed to face the Brewers, a much more tame lineup, I think. Um, yeah, hey, if, if he can give you solid back-end rotation production, eat five or six innings and not kill the bullpen every time he goes out there, uh, you'll take it all day long. Absolutely. Um, all right. Obviously, that was a sweep. That was what they what the doctor ordered for sure over over Washington. Um, they come, you know, they're playing Philly over the weekend. Didn't start as well. Uh, the the concern of another weekend collapse was uh, brewing a little bit on Friday when they lost twelve to two. Charlie Morton did not have it at all. In fact, uh, you know, he, he he was in the bullpen getting loose tonight at the end of the game. Uh, Charlie Morton, you know, I'm not worried at all. 
but I want to ask you, I'll give you the numbers first. Morton has a five, uh, sorry, a 4.98 ERA in seven starts. That's not disastrous, but it's, not, it's obviously not good. Um, basically, all of the peripheral numbers are much better than that. He has a 3.7 XERA, a 4.13 FIP, 3.58 XFIP, 3.76 Sierra, 3.30 DRA. So, like, all of those numbers, other than ERA, are much better than that. Um, yeah. So, in addition to me thinking Charlie Morton is just a vet who's going to be pretty good, that helps me be calm. I mean, I guess the one concern would be his age, but do you worry about Morton at all after that start, or is it just, like, kind of a one-off? Yeah, it seemed like he was thrown off a little bit. I mean, he was... Uh, Contreras just couldn't catch strike three. And then of course a runner got on and um, there was a little bit of bad luck going on with balls put in play. And um, anytime you're talking about a guy in his mid thirties, you worry a little bit about a fall off. But as you just said, the, the advanced stats all suggest he is much better than what he's been. Of course, you don't want to spend the entire season going, well, his ERA is five, but the good news is his fan graphs likes him. <laughs> yeah, uh, because at some true. point, you want to see those things translate to games. But yes, I'm not worried about Charlie. I guess if he has another bad couple starts here, you worry a little bit more. But um, it was just a bad night, as you said. It's just everyone's going to have one of those nights where you just don't have it. Of course, it comes with a fully packed uh, Truist Park and the crowd was rocking and the Braves were coming off probably their best series of the year coming off a sweep of the nationals. And then it was what eight, nothing in the first inning, six, nothing. I, I, yeah, it was uh, sort of ironic because it was the first night that they opened up to hundred percent capacity at Truist. And uh, that, that was not the way that they envisioned that going. I don't think, but um, no. that's one you can kind of throw away because of Saturday. So we'll spend most of the rest of the podcast now, I think on Saturday, yeah, because that game was insane. But um, I'll just say this. Friday night's game and the 12-2 loss gets ignored in a hurry when you come back and win Saturday. If they had lost Saturday with with the, how crazy that game was, uh, the Philly would have been a lot different, I think. But because they didn't, uh, things are uh, going well, at least at this moment in time. So before we get to the wildness of the late innings, uh, the headliner was going to be Ronald Cunha getting hit by a pitch in the seventh inning. So earlier in, earlier in the same plate appearance, he almost got hit again in the same spot. Um, but he got drilled on the hand slash wrist, and it ended up being what the Braves called a left pinky finger contusion. Um, X-rays negative. And honestly, Scott, when I saw that play and watched the replay a couple times, yeah. I would have lost my life savings if you asked me if he was playing the next day. Like mm-hmm. not, you know, not not to say he was gonna be out for the year or anything. But if if the only question was, will Ronald Acuna start on Sunday? I would have bet a heavy amount on no. <laughs> yeah. And he ended up playing today. It looks fine. So I, I don't yeah. know. Maybe he's just Iron Man. I have no idea. I know. I, I know uh, a couple folks were saying, of course, when the when the ball hits the bat in that location at that high speed, I think it was 97, there's like an instant, like a shock wave that kind of reverberates off the bat. And I'm sure that's probably, and they said it can be incredibly painful. I'm guessing that's probably what got Ronald. And then, of course, the natural panic of thinking you just like shattered a couple fingers. Um, but yeah, I mean, anytime he was in clear and obvious pain, he went straight to the dugout. It wasn't even like he stood at first base for a minute and tried to flex it out. I mean, I'm with you. I figured it was at least a broken pinky. Maybe. I mean, I guess the good news, I guess we'll call it good. Well, the obvious good news is that nothing was broken and he played 24 hours later. He played today. What is going on? (laughs) He's freaking Iron Man. He's had a couple of those where it looked real bad and he was able to to play the next day. Um, 
But of course, anytime you get hit in that part of your body, you worry about a hamate bone, a wrist, you know, a hand, a couple bones in your hand where you have to have surgery. Uh, thank God that would have been catastrophic if there's things this team can and can't withstand. It's it's losing Ronald for any period of time. Uh, so thank goodness he was okay. And I think Brian Snicker said after the game on Saturday, he just he just had like a bandage on his finger. And obviously he looked pretty good tonight on, on Sunday. So thank goodness that could have been catastrophic. Yeah, once the x-ray was negative last night, that was a, a pretty good sign. But even then, like him playing today was just wild. But it happened. So we'll... Uh... Because because it was it was actually okay, we won't spend twenty minutes on that. But we would have, I promise you, it would have been a long conversation that we have on the <laughs> yeah. show about like intent of pitching. Like there was a whole debate about the uh, about whether he's being thrown at, and uh, we don't have to do any of that now because uh, it was pretty frustrating in the moment. Let's just say yeah. uh, to the game. So the Braves are down to their final breath, basically in the ninth. Um, a nice walk by Adrianza, and then uh, old friend Pablo Sandoval who is the greatest pinch hitter of all time, apparently, uh, hits a two-run homer to tie the game. Yeah. That was the first time the Braves felt dead in this game. It was in the ninth. Uh, I guess we'll stop here. Pablo Sandoval, it's not like, it hasn't been every game. Like It's been a while since he had one of these because early on in the season it was like just crazy how hot he was. Um, and you know maybe it's more anecdotal now after a few weeks, but he just seems to make plays. I don't even know how to say it. Like Not that anyone was expecting him to bomb there, but it wasn't as shocking as it probably should have been. I don't know. Yeah. He's, I mean, man, I, I don't think until like the second or third week of spring training, people even thought he had like a chance to make the roster. Right? I, had, like they, I thought he had no shot, honestly. Yeah. Or at least very little shot. When they signed Jake Lamb, I thought there was like, I don't know, a 10% chance that Pablo was going to be on the roster. And obviously Jake Lamb didn't work out and a few other, you know, Jason Kipnis didn't have a good spring and, but, I mean, heck, you, you probably could ask Anthopoulos and say, hey, how likely was it that Pablo was going to make the – I mean, he was a, a non-roster invitee. Um, you know, for him to do what he did, he – facing Hector Neris, I mean, Neris just put one right down the middle of the plate for Pablo, and he he did not miss it. Um, but, yeah, what, what, a, uh, what a story that's four pinch hit home runs for Pablo this year now and all of that. I mean, it's not like he's doing it in like a 10 to two game when Anthony no. Rizzo is pitching. Like <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's doing it in the prime moments. He had the game tying one in Philly against Aaron Nola. I think he had a go ahead Homer in Washington at one point. So, um, a huge swing. And as you just, as we've talked about the difference of him not hitting that ball out and the Braves losing again, it kind of stokes that old flame of, all right, here we go again. The Braves win a few, and then they're going to lose four in a row. Uh, it totally changed the complexion of the weekend. Yeah, that even happened even on, on the broadcast was like was kind of some open discussion about how the Braves have been one of the more inconsistent teams in baseball this year, uh, because like we've talked about a lot, they keep having these stretches where they'll you know, they'll go four and one, then they'll go one and four. Even if it's not like perfect losing streak, they just kind of have this ebb and flow. And uh, that was a moment where it could have swung the other way. Uh, in the tenth, nobody scores. In the eleventh, they, they go down again. Because uh, you know you give up a run, which is kind of the expected outcome, but then they uh, they get potrated to the plate on an Adrianza chopper, basically. Um, by the way, let's talk let's talk about some defense from the Phillies. That was uh, quite a performance by the Phillies defense. The entire yeah uh, extra innings, basically. Saturday <laughs> uh, They're the same team. I mean, I know they they every off season they go out and they try to change their team or make improvements and i swear they've had the exact same team for like four years now just uh i mean not that anyone was terribly surprised again like 
I guess in the moment the Braves are losing, but if you take a step back and just say, okay, you win this game in part because Philadelphia makes bad defensive plays, it's it's, it's just less surprising because that's just what they yeah. do. It seems. Um, anyway, they that, they managed to tie it there. They could they almost they almost could have won it in the eleventh and they didn't. Then the twelfth goes the wrong direction at the beginning. So Jacob Webb uh, has a an errant throw to the plate uh, with the bases loaded. And that suddenly you're down three runs. Uh, Contreras, by the way, contributed to that with some bad defense throughout as well. But, you know, 7-4, going to the bottom of the 12th, yes, you get a free runner on second base, but you're down by three. Like, you're, you're still a, a rather large underdog there, down by three runs. That's pretty it's probably, it's pretty implied. But uh, Contreras makes, makes up for it uh, by clearing the bases to tie the game. And then uh, Pache and then Adrianza. So, I mean, what's your brain doing in the bottom of the 12th I, I know i know it wasn't quite as late into the night for you out there uh three hours beforehand i know brace fans were kind of like in a daze because it was what like i don't know midnight something like that maybe yeah. later uh not, was, i guess you were probably more coherent than most of us <laughs> well i think it was just again the same old same old with this ridiculous extra inning rule uh in the 10th inning they don't capitalize on the phillies not scoring in the 11th inning they tie it but can't close things out, even though they had a runner in scoring position. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Jacob Webb made a really good play on the ball coming back to him, and it was just a poor throw. And then, of course, he didn't cover home plate uh, in his disappointment, which was bad too. But um, thankfully, again, it, Contreras uh, clearing the bases there. Uh, the one moment you alluded the Phillies defense, I, I really don't know how, how did Dansby score from first. I mean, I know he's fast. But it was like a fairly routine ball to left. I mean, uh, McCutcheon had to go a ways to get it. Yeah. But he like kind of bobbled it a little bit. And then he missed the cutoff man by like 40 feet. And I mean, there wasn't <laughs> even a play at the plate. I mean, I think Dansby could have scored standing up on a ball hit to left field that didn't even go to like the warning track even. It, I, I could not believe it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't have an answer for you if I'm being honest. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just I, I'm actually watching the play again as we're talking right now uh, on my phone because I'm trying to do, yeah, well first McCutcheon kind of bobbles it, which didn't help things through a really bad throw, but yeah, the fact that it wasn't even close at the plate. That ball should not have been, I mean, maybe maybe to be charitable because Dansby's really fast, you would think that it's like a, a tight play at the plate from first. Yeah. The fact that they didn't even get a throw in from there to like make it even competitive. I know he was wheeling. I, I didn't, I didn't see what the sprint speed was on Dansby, but he can fly. I mean, that's a, that's a guy who has yeah, borderline, borderline elite speed, but still the fact that that was like not even contested at the plate was a uh, no. good, good defense by the Phillies. Again, bringing things full, bring things full, full circle. Uh, <laughs> then they, then they win it. Uh, they win it from there. So I don't know. I, I don't want to overstate it. And we're not a, a huge, you know, narrative podcast always, but it does feel like that could I say could be a moment that we're talking about in, in two months where like, remember when the Braves turned it around on that Saturday night? Uh, yeah. that, that's one of those, that's one of those nights where even if that's kind of, you know, I, I roll my eyes a little bit about that sometimes. It also might just be true. Like maybe they, maybe, maybe that's the moment that we all think about. Like there was that moment in the Nats season when the Nats won the world series, when we all made, made fun of it with like the record since May 23rd, or whatever it was, was, was X. I'm not sure it's going to happen for that Saturday night game, but uh, that could, it could be one of those that we look back on. Yeah, it just it seemed like it woke the team up and maybe it was playing in front of a full crowd again. I, I know the players have talked about how it was hard to really get up and get fired up when you're playing in this huge stadium with no one in the stands. 
or even 5,000 people or whatever the limit was. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, of course, they come out strong on Sunday night and, and tee off on Aaron Nola. And again, I, I think momentum and, and all of that in baseball is a little overrated because, I mean, you, you talk about the, the national series. The Nationals were coming off a sweep. The Braves had just gotten swept. And what happens? The team that just lost three in a row wins three games, right? Like momentum is only as good as the next day. But you do hope that it, it was a little bit of a jolt. It brought some energy back to the team. Uh, Gabe Burns of the AJC, of course, said, you know, it really did feel like Saturday night was the Braves team that we've come to know and love and enjoy so much over the last couple of seasons with that big comeback. Yeah. Um, Hopefully, fingers crossed. I mean, hey, we say it's going to be a turnaround and then they'll lose the next couple nights. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go again. Um, but you do hope it's it's the beginning of much better days on the horizon. Of all the things that this team has been known for, and again, we're not always the people that play into this the most, but um, it probably is their comebacks the last three seasons, basically. You know, that's probably what they're if you were to step back from just being a Braves uh, observer only and like look about baseball. That's probably what I would say is like the biggest thing about this team is that they just kind of never fade. And they kind of have these moments where they come back. And um, that was one example of that. So don't want to overstate it, but certainly could be one of those that we circle uh, at the end of the year. And that was a, it was a lot of fun to, uh, to consume. That's for sure. Uh, and then tonight, you know, Sunday night, Sunday night game, national TV. And you co- of course you come out after that win and it's a leadoff home run by Andrew McCutcheon uh I rolled my eyes at that one I gotta be honest yeah uh just it it doesn't get more on brand than that but uh to their credit that was it that was all they gave up in this game uh they scored four runs immediately in the bottom half uh of course Acuna who again is playing 24 hours after he leaves the game with what would have killed me um he walks (laughs) he walks in his first plate appearances and still second base like (laughs) he's he's an alien um Frey drives him in and then uh Ozzy triples and Dansby hits a two-run homer. And uh, I saw several ats of you after that home run from Dansby Swanson, so I appreciated that as well. Um, anytime anytime Scott tweets these days, it's just going to come down to uh, – I mean, I guess you're kind of inspiring them because you went after Dansby, he hits a home run. You went after uh, – what, what else happened earlier early this year? You had Austin one, Riley. Uh, Austin Riley is, is the famous one where uh, you've now spurred him to be uh, Brooks Robinson at third base, so congratulations well, on that. Well, yeah, <laughs> speaking of Austin Riley, he's currently second in all of baseball and on-base percentage. Like what the hell that, that that blows? It's Mike Trout, and then it's Austin Riley as the on base leaders, at least coming into Sunday night. Well, the the best part about that is that uh, on April, yeah, April seventeenth. So the first I had this pulled earlier. Yeah, the first fifteen games of the season, Austin Riley had a two seventy five on base percentage. Wow. And fifteen games when you're on May 9th, that's half the season, and he had a two seventy five on base percentage. Again. 275 yeah now this is before tonight but in the the next 18 games it was 479 yeah and that's before tonight so it was uh something happened something i guess it was your tweet scott i don't know uh i like to think they have a computer in the dugout and they just look at me shit talking them and oops can i say that Sorry. that's fine we'll, uh, <laughs> and, uh <laughs> we're on one. Yeah. sorry to the sponsors um you know yeah me, me crap talking i'm gonna go all right well scott just <laughs> tweeted about me it's time to go get uh, go reach base 50% of the time for the next two weeks. Like, here we, hey, if that's what it takes, I will, I'll be here all season and, and, uh, I can, I can turn guys year around for him. No problem. Yeah. So, I mean, Freddie hits the home run that tacks it on a little bit. And then, uh, a nice insurance run on the eighth from Riley on an RBI double. Other than that, um, how about that defensive play by Tyler Matzik? 
behind yeah. his back. <laughs> what That's in the insane. World? What in the world? You was that? somehow did not see the game on Sunday night. Do yourself a favor. Find it's going to be all over. Yeah. ESPN or, or Twitter or whatever. And it was, I mean, seriously, like one of the best defensive plays. I I mean, maybe the best defensive play a Braves pitcher has made in what years. I mean, that, that was incredible. Yeah, it was a ludicrous play. Uh, I would just say Google it. It was, you know, it was this sort of, I'm not sure if he'll claim that he, uh, that it was, a, it was all skill. I'm not sure what happened there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, throw the glove up. It was one of those, uh, I'm not even sure how he reached it, like physically, like putting your arm back that far. I don't know. I have many oh, questions about that play. Coming down off the mound, too. Yeah. Like he was on a decline. It was very uh, weird. And did it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, watch that one if you can, uh, if you can find it. But that ended up, they didn't need it necessarily, but they ended up winning comfortably in front of that national TV audience on Sunday night. And uh, yeah, 500. So, Division-wise, at this moment, before we get into the schedule and we're we'll get out of here, but, um, you know, as it has been, we've made this joke, I think, two weeks in a row now, but the uh, the Marlins, I believe, still have the best run differential in the division, despite being last in the division, which is, uh, no, sorry, they're actually not last anymore. The Nats are uh, a half game behind the Marlins, but the Braves are now a game and a half behind the Mets, only a half game behind the Phillies with this, with this, with this win, and uh, 500, so after all that, you know, right in the middle of the mix. In fact, I think they might even be, yeah, they're like one game out of the wild card right now. Like, they're fine. Everything's fine. The division, yeah, I mean, this division's going to be tight all year. I mean, it does seem like the way. Mets, way. yeah, the Mets are starting to figure it out. They've won five in a row. The Phillies, again, this is a, a solid team. I'm not sure they've done enough to um, take that leap and, and make the playoffs or at least win the division, but the Phillies are certainly not going anywhere. Uh, the Nationals, if they can get Strasburg and Corbin back, or at least back to a shell of those guys who they used to be. Yeah, I mean, they have basically Max Scherzer, and that's effectively it in their rotation. I guess John Lester is not horrible. Uh, And then the Marlins. I mean, the Marlins, again, it's a solid team. I I think, of course, last year they made the playoffs, won a playoff series. Um, I, I don't think they're quite there yet, but they are, again, by far of the We'll call them last place teams in the at least on an odds percentage in each of the divisions. They are far and away the best last place team in baseball, um, and won't won't go away. If they were in a division that maybe wasn't as deep and competitive, they they'd probably push for I don't know seventy seventy five wins. But it, it's going to be tight all the way. Yeah, and with this win, with, with, sorry, with these wins this week, the Braves basically in, in, a, in the projection systems that I've seen have gone from like you know the eighty two eighty three range to up to like eighty five eighty six. So that's a big jump in a week. Um, yeah, 538 right now has the Braves 85 wins, which would be two games shy of the, of the Mets, which is about what we've had for most of the season. Um, and that's, you know, that's better than it was. And at 500, you can't be too offended by that projection. <laughs> like, that's you, that's you going eight games over the rest of the way. You can't really argue too much with that. But obviously, they're gonna, probably going to be better than that. But uh, they are still uh, in totally fine shape, and it's it helps to win five out of six games. That's uh, breaking news. Um, the- <laughs> and they have a they have a pretty favorable schedule coming up. Like it's the rest of the month. It's not bad. They have some. Uh, yeah, you have the Blue Jays who are a solid team, but then you have the Brewers who have some injury issues. I think they have a four game series with the Pirates coming up. Um, you know the Mets, who again they're okay. Other than Jacob Degrom, though, they're not exactly a, a powerhouse. So you hope that they can bounce off this week, and this will be the last time we see 500 this year. That would be that would be nice to be sure. Uh, the Pirates are not particularly good, but they're 14 and 19. They're actually better than you would think they've been so far this year. So no, nothing's gimme. But you know, this week they have Monday off, 
So if, if you're listening to this podcast on Monday, no game tonight. Um, then they have a three-game series at home against the Blue Jays, and they're trying to avenge a sweep from last week. Obviously, um, the Blue Jays are not good enough to be sweeping the Braves, which is uh, that happened. I mean, it, it existed. Um, and as you as you said earlier, they're pushing back the rotation. Tuesday's starter is up in the air right now. It's going to be free on Wednesday and Morton on Thursday. Uh, we'll see what they end up doing on Tuesday, so I don't really have a guess for you at this moment. And then Thursday is uh, Scott's beloved 12.20 p.m. Eastern time start, so it'll be uh, mm. breakfast baseball for you, my friend. 9.20, first pitch, West Coast. Uh, it's I mean, they're not the worst thing in the world. It's just weird. I know that uh, I always lament the early starts, and I guess it, the trade-off, of course, is the games don't end at like midnight here as the game on Saturday night did, but yeah. Um, as yeah, breakfast as we, with the Braves. As we record this at, at about 11 p.m. on Sunday night because of another night, Sunday night game. I, I know everybody loves Sunday night games. We do not here on the podcast. I'm out. I'm out on those. I'm out. I think there. I don't think there's any more Sunday night games until like July or something like that. I mean, that. they've had one like every scared. week. It's unbelievable. Yep. Uh, I, I know that the Braves, uh, contrary to popular belief, the Braves do rate very well because they have a lot of fans. Um, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of done with Sunday night games. You know, next week is a, two, <laughs> is a 210 Sunday and then a 120. Uh, uh, nope, May 30th. So three weeks from tonight, Mets, oh, Braves, 7, 7 p.m. Did I miss one? Uh, uh, yeah, Memorial, Memorial, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, oh, to, well, there you go. You, get, you get Monday off. I hope you get Monday off, bro. Uh, I do get Monday off, uh, fortunately, for everyone involved. But, yeah, we're, we're getting there. I'm looking ahead now, by the way. The Dodgers series coming to town uh, early June, so circle that one. The Dodgers are, are suddenly like more. Dodgers, dude, Dodgers got issues. They they have some pitching problems. and I mean, again, of course, they'll come to Atlanta, and the whole team will hit like 800. Well, I mean, they're probably but... due. I mean, the fact that the Dodgers are 18 and 17 right now is, like, pretty wild. They were 13 and 2. Yeah. They're five and fifteen in the last twenty. Is that right? Yeah, that's crazy. Yep. And they were up fourteen to nothing against the Angels last and night, and lost. had to. Yeah, yeah, and and they almost. It was a game. It was a fourteen eleven. They had the tying run at the plate at one point. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, I think Vasquez said this on the on the broadcast tonight. I think the Dodgers haven't won a game in which they haven't scored at least eight runs in like a month. <laughs> like the yeah. only, they only yeah. win when they go crazy at the plate, basically because they just can't pitch right now. So Dustin Mays. Anyway, not not Dodgers podcast, but. Uh, They'll get it figured out. But yeah, yes, we'll they, of course, you know, it, it's still early. Like, it feels weird because if you think about last year, I think last season we were just so desperate for sports of any kind. And I think you could have said, hey, they're going to do a four week sprint for the baseball season. And then the top team in each division is going to play. And that's your World Series winner or whatever. Um, you know, we're only, what, 34 games into the season now, 35. It's still so, so early. And, of course, you get caught up in the day to day, but it's a long way to go. And um, both in Atlanta and elsewhere, and you hope they're able to kind of put back, put past the month of April, which was not good. And they're after a good start in May, which is nice. Yeah, May has gone well thus far. Knock on wood. Uh, again, day off on Monday, and we'll get it, we'll get back to the grind on Tuesday. Scott, if you have any final thoughts, please share them. If not, we will uh, for once end this show under an hour. So, if you have any else, anything else to add, please do. When do, when do my Atlanta Hawks play next? I'm a big I'm a big Atlanta. Are you guy. on the bandwagon now? The Hawks bandwagon? Uh, I, I know I, I have listeners to this podcast that don't know this potentially. I, I do host a semi-daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, and I'm on that beat pretty much uh, in full at this point. So if you if, if you want to listen to that, I do host the Lothon Hawks podcast. It's there. I don't often plug on the show, but go ahead and subscribe to that podcast. I really appreciate it. To your point, Scott, they play on Monday. Boom. So dial in Monday night and then Wednesday night and the playoffs begin next week and they're going to be in the playoffs. So the Hawks, 
after four years out of the playoffs. Uh, in fact, I had this whole thing. I was going to write about it even, uh, kind of jokingly, about how the Braves and the Hawks cannot be good at the same time. I made this <laughs> joke on Twitter, and I was actually going to do some research, and I had it, I had it dialed up, and of course now the Braves are hot again, so maybe I'm wrong yeah. about this. But uh, basically, in, in short, as soon as the Hawks started rebuilding and were terrible is when the Braves got good again. So yeah. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm not just saying, I'm just saying. So Hawks are good. Braves hopefully are good. The Falcons are going to score like 70 points a game next year, but you're Atlanta Falcons. Might, yeah. Um, they, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they might give up 71 points a game, but might. at least they're going to be entertaining to watch. Listen, um, uh, yeah. jump, jump on the Hawks bandwagon. I know you're in, uh, I know you're All a right. big diehard NBA guy. So thank you for the support on that. Uh, We'll, we'll leave it there for now. I'm all in. Fun. Yes, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, Brad, and uh, hopefully you can get some sleep here. Yeah, follow Scott's. Uh, I would say, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, influential, inspirational. Any of those tw- any of those <laughs> words about about Scott's Twitter Twitter feed? Please follow Scott for that. And again, I cannot tell you how much I'm, I'm enjoying this. Every time something good happens to anyone that you have sent a negative tweet about recently. Um, there's like a gathering to tweet at you, which I really appreciate. It's usually me that happens to, and now it's you. And I, really, I feel I, like I you that. you lead the people on, Brad. Like you're the no, one. Eric, Eric went in last the... week. I'm not sure if you heard that at the end of the podcast. Eric, Eric was trying to like actually directly inspire people to tweet you yesterday, last week. So oh, I know. That's, I what, know. that's what Eric does. But uh, it'll probably happen again next week. In fact, he's probably doing it right now as he's listening to this podcast via whatever he's listening to. He's probably tweeting something about me. So yeah, <laughs> he, he's, he's an antagonist. It is what it is. He is. Yes. Follow, follow Eric too. Follow Eric, follow Scott. If you want to follow me for basketball tweets, feel free to do so. But seriously, check out the site. Uh, minor League Baseball is back. We are not minor league experts, Scott and I, but uh, Eric is, and all, all of our crew is uh, firing off the minor league recaps. It's been nice to read those, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it's been cool to have minor league baseball back, so check all that stuff out on the site. And Road to Atlanta on the same podcast feed. Thank you again to Scott, and we'll see you all next time.